Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer. While our podcast has hit another milestone, it is episode number 20 of Off the Track, our dirt track racing podcast, where we like to talk about our experiences in the sport, as well as interview other racers, car owners, crew chiefs, and people involved um, with this sport on their take on dirt track racing. And I say we because usually I have my co-host here, Bennett, but today I guess you could say I'm co-hostless because he was not able to uh, make it up from Northern California for the intro and outro of today's show, but he is going to be involved with our interview. So welcome back today. We are actually going to be talking with one of the most legendary dirt track racers to ever come out of Northern California, and that is the shark Sean Becker. So if you guys have never heard of Sean Becker, you will definitely know a lot more about him by the end of today's show. But he was one of those guys when we first started the podcast, he was towards the top of the list to actually try to get on. And we wanted to get him in studio. And by that, I mean, even if we had to travel down to California to one of his race shops or where he was located and try to set something up uh, just so we could talk for a long time. Unfortunately, that did not work out because we just both have very busy um, racing schedules and he's racing a lot down here or down there and uh, we're racing a lot up here. So we were not able to make that work, but we were able to get him in for a video chat. And like I said, Sean Becker, a dirt track racer from Northern California who has really just raced around the state for most of his life. Uh, he started in Outlaw Carts, has a very a similar background uh, to what I do. I guess I should say I have a similar background to him because he came way before my time, but he started racing outlaw carts when they first started um, in the Red Bluff area and Cycling, and is literally a legend of that type of uh, dirt track racing. Outlaw carts, he is one of the best to ever sit behind the wheel of one of them, but Sean Becker has just had so much success between the Red Bluff Outlaws and the Cycling Speedway, as well as many other tracks in Northern California, so we definitely make sure to mention that in the interview. We also kind of just chat about uh, how he got the nickname the shark because that is one of those nicknames that has stuck with him for so long since he got started back in the outlaw cart days. So we talk about that. Then we kind of talk about a little bit of his start to 2021 uh, driving for the 83V team that he just got hooked up with to start the year. Uh, he's been racing some races with them and then also a little bit in the Monhoff number 35 for SECT shows. And then we just kind of continue on with the timeline of his story because he sure has a unique one racing with his brother Daniel Becker and his grandpa George who is another legend of outlaw carts so the Beckers they have just been doing it for so long and it was an honor to have Sean on our show so here's about 30 minutes with the shark Sean Becker so joining us here today on episode number 20 of Off the Track, he's one of the most legendary dirt track drivers to come out of Northern California. He has a World of Outlaws win to his name, and his nickname is The Shark. It's Sean Becker. Sean, welcome to Off the Track today. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, to kind of jump right into today's show, before we start talking about 2021, your story and all your history and your family's history in Northern California, we got to know um, where did the nickname The Shark come from? Who gave that to you? And how is it stuck, you know, till this very day? Yeah, well, I guess the family just kind of gave it to me. When I was a kid, I always loved sharks. But um, in 97, we went to a World of Outlaw race at Calistoga and they had a track t-shirt and with a big great white shark on it and it said attack the track and i'm all that is cool and like that's a great philosophy to have when you're racing just to get out there attack the track so i try to live up to that but um no my family just kind of stuck me with that name but then you had um 
had announcers at Chico or Red Bluff and Cycland, like, they'd get super pumped up saying, the shark is on the hunt as I was battling through the field. So, um, you know, it was super cool and just kind of stuck ever since. That's, That's cool. Cra- yeah. That's crazy that it's stuck that long. And, you know, now today, every time they announce you, um, kind of jumping into your 2021 season, you know, you're now driving the 83 V in California. How has that been? I know, um, you know, every time you switch between a new group of guys and new teams and equipment and chassis, um, it can be difficult, but how has uh, your start to 2021 been? Um, it has actually been a little difficult this year, unfortunately, but I'm super excited because, um, yeah, Dave Rotulo with the 83 V, we are going King of the West racing. So I haven't been doing much 410 racing in a long time. So to get with him for us to commit to that whole series is big for me because I think 410 racing is where it's at and it's where that that's the world of outlaws. So that's like the ultimate goal if you're sprint car racing is to be racing or competing with the world of outlaws and that's 410 racing. So, um, uh, so I'm super grateful for the opportunity to be running for him, but, um, yeah, we haven't found our groove yet. Um, we've been struggling with, um, with results and everything. Um, just getting me comfortable in the car, but yeah, like you said, like I've, I've had a long career of jumping in and out of, um, different car owners. Um, and sometimes you jump right in and things just click and sometimes it just takes a little time. But, um, um, yeah, the whole group of guys are working their tails off and they have a lot of faith in me. They have, I have a lot of faith in them as well. And, um, we're enjoying ourselves too through the process. So, um, yeah, good things are on the way. That's cool. One of the things you brought up there was 410 racing and we've interviewed a couple other people from California. Um, just, you know, you've had such a long career. How has the 410 racing kind of changed over time? I know they're a little bit more scarce now, but, um, and we're going to dive into your story as well, but you know, just as a quick question, you know, how has it changed, you know, from when you maybe first got started and, and there was maybe a lot more 410s and, and more races to run? No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a big debate when I basically when I first got a sprint car, it was late at the season of 2001. And it was like a debate like, well, what should we do? Like, should we buy a 410 or get a 360? We ended up getting a 360 just because at that time, still, there were still a lot of options to race at on the weekends, where if you had a 410, you were just racing Golden State or NARC, whatever series it was. And then Chico had a Friday night point season going on. So, and Chico's basically in our backyard. So it was a tough debate. Um, we ended up getting a 410 to start the season in 2002. That was officially kind of my first year of racing. Um, but yeah, um, we had Chico. King of the West or NARC, Golden State, whatever you wanted to call it, whatever version it was, um, those were the kind of the premier series to kind of enter, and uh, it it's not like that anymore. Like, it was a handful of years ago now that Chico basically kind of, we were getting so low car counts that they did what they had to do, and they scrapped the 410 division and made it a 360-point series, and... Um, they got a ton of cars since then, so they did what they had to do. I, I understand it, but it's still heartbreaking because I grew up on 410 racing and, um, yeah, times, times have changed. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting to really see kind of where, I, I guess the whole West coast and sprint car racing has just went, but yeah, now, you know, 360s are so healthy in California, you know, um, Chico's race at the beginning of May 
60 cars yeah. and um you know 410 racing's not you know not in the greatest place but we did interview um peter murphy a yeah. couple weeks ago and he talked about some of his ideas on on bringing it back so um hopefully you know hopefully it'll it'll continue to build over the years to come i think there's well i think there's a lot of ambassadors for the 410 racing and you yeah. included that uh, really want to promote it and bring it back uh to i guess you could say it's glory days and hopefully make it better too yeah, and I think, do you think maybe one of the biggest problems with the 410 is just because there's not a lot of weekly racing? You know, obviously you have uh, KWS, you know, NARC, but that's only that that's only so much, and it's not maybe a lot of two-day shows. There's just not a lot of opportunities now besides um, what Peter Murphy's doing down at Hanford and KWS to run 410 stuff close to home. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like you get a 360, and Saturday you have a plethora of tracks to choose from um, all up and down the west coast so um yeah and like you said with four tens it's only king of the west that's going right now narc and yeah uh they're a couple times a month maybe like so it's yeah it's it's the smart thing if you want to get and especially for all these young kids that are coming up into the sprint car division now like what do you need to get better you need lap time you need seat time and you're gonna get it by getting a 360 and running at all these different tracks like two times a week basically so um yeah that's just kind of the position our the state of our sport is in unfortunately but um i mean there's still no competition like the 410 like you go to narc and if if you win a narc race like you done something so um i still think that's the premier division that you got to hundred percent that your goals too yeah hundred percent yeah and um, we'll definitely kind of keep an eye and just see what happens over the next couple of years one of the main reasons we are so excited to have you on the show is because you have such a decorated background in outlaw kart racing and we wanted to spend some time talking about that um how did you kind of get your start in kart racing and just maybe a little bit about the times when you did get started you know that was kind of towards the beginning of red bluff and cycling and now what that has turned into today so where did kind of your interest in the sport you know start yeah um my so my dad raced, he actually was a professional or term pro racing motocross, like in the late seventies. So we were kind of a motocross family really. Um, but then he went to a fair race in Chico and there was stock car racing at the fair. He's all, oh, I could probably do that. And so he did that for a few years. But, um, when I initially started my racing career, it was on two wheels and motocross. So, um, when I was 10 through 12, I was doing that and getting hurt all the time, broke my collarbone. And my mom finally said, we're putting a roll cage around this kid. So uh, when I was about 12, 13 years old, um, I actually had a buddy, a couple of friends who just started like cycling, had always been a motocross track. Like I raced there plenty of times and they had just kind of started the outlaw cart scene and um, had a couple of friends from school that were doing it. A buddy let me race it one time and like the rest was history. It's like we, kind of sold all our motocross stuff and never looked back and yeah they had a an outdoor track at Anderson kind of on the infield of the pavement track um, I ran there like a few times and then yeah <laughs> basically since I was 13 years old till now it was winters in Red Bluff and summers in Cycland so um, yeah you could race year-round it was pretty fun. So you mentioned the track in Anderson and I guess I could say I have a win at that track because the one time they held the Tyler Wolf Memorial back then, 
um, for the one race that I think Brandon put on. I had won that in the 250 division. But what was that track like? Because I don't, I that's the first time I had heard that there was a track there. Uh, was that like a smaller bull ring, or was it flat? Was it banked? What was that track like? Yeah, it was really, it was really, really short, really, really flat. Uh, not much banking at all. But and I had absolutely no experience too, so I was just kind of, I was a mud out there, just trying not to get in anybody's way. But um, yeah, but I'm 12, so I was in the 125 division at that point. Um. I never did get to race box stock. I was too old for that. So, yeah, it wasn't very racy, racy joint, but um, but it provided a racetrack for you to go play on. So it was it was still good in my eyes. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 great to hear about you know just the the outlaw cart history in Northern California and all the different racetracks and who who has been involved. Um, asking about who's who's been involved. You raced a lot with your brother and also just other family members. We still to this day see Grandpa George at the racetrack. How involved were, was all that? Um, you know, kind of when you first got started and and you know really just racing season after season. You know, with um, Grandpa George and your brother Daniel. Yeah, yeah, that was huge. And, and Daniel actually, he's. Um, I had my first race in my buddy's cart that one time, and then we immediately got my brother a box stock. So he kind of started before me. And then I got into the 125 division, and then there was maybe just a two or three years later that my my sister she was um she's a few years older than me, so she got in 125 as well. But yeah, the whole time, like you said, my Grandpa George, he was there doing motors for us. Um, yeah, make helping us get like pointed in the right direction, setup wise and everything. So like, yeah, he has been a huge influence from day one, and yeah, it's been a big family affair like ever since. When you're racing with Daniel, you know back then, and even I guess you know to this day, when you guys go the kart races, sometimes you're both racing at the same time. Is was that always something that was like more um, like a teammate brotherly thing, or was that like actually more on the competitive side of like there's if there's one guy I want to beat at the racetrack, you know that's Daniel. No, I, I it's probably a lot like with you and Carly. I would say like I I am my brother's biggest fan, gotcha. so I am rooting for him just as much as. I'm wanting to win myself, so um, it did, it always did feel like if he won, we won kind of thing. Um, but yeah, growing up, we used to always, it was so funny, like Red Bluff, like what's the most entertaining thing about going to Red Bluff? It's watching the box stock dads going crazy on the sidelines that the drivers never get to see them, right? But yeah. they're waving their arms and they're yelling, drivers can't hear them, but we always used to tease all the box stock dads whenever we used to watch, well... I, so I used to get pumped up watching my brother race. And then somebody said, Hey, you're like a box dog dad watching your brother. I'm like, Oh, I got to cut that off. That's not good. So I try to settle myself down after that. But now with the whole family, like we're big fans of each other. When one person wins, like it's a win for everybody. So it's probably like that with you and Carly, I'd say. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that because I don't think at Red Bluff I'm a box stock dad, but when we're racing sprint cards and you're coming from the back, yeah. I'm just, I'm going nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another question about Grandpa George. Um, you know, where did he maybe get the experience? You know, like when you guys are maybe first starting and, and back then, you know, it was a lot of, uh, you know, maybe there's just a lot of hands-on work and maybe building stuff yourself and modifying because things were at such an early stage in, in outlaw carts. Did he have like a lot of motor build or engine building experience before, or did he kind of just like tackle these projects, um, building your guys' engines and just kind of figuring it out? Well, he's always just kind of had like the me me uh, mechanical mentality. And um, so he, 
He said the first time he ever saw like a remote control airplane, he's like, oh, I got to take that apart and figure out how that works. So that's just the way his mind works. So yes, he was always involved in the motors, like our 125s, our two strokes and everything. But like my dad growing up racing motorcycles, my grandpa raced motorcycles with him. So they had all that experience, many years of rebuilding those and trying to get as much power as they can out of their just their motorcycles and then when we started getting in the go-karts it's like well this is perfect i kind of already been working on motorcycle motors so no yeah he's just he just had that mind like no like formal training i don't think like by trade um my grandpa and my dad they were just ceramic tile setters so they were just going to the construction site during the day and then tinkering around in their garage at night and then playing on the weekends. So, no, it's pretty incredible, like, how far he's come and how much he, he does. So talking about uh, the motors that he had built, I know there's a story behind, I don't know if I'm going to say it correctly, the Lager motor. Lager, right? right. And it's 100 horsepower, right? I don't know. I, I think so. Like, they're pretty big. It's yeah. so it's supposedly it's it's in that range. Did you ever get the opportunity to drive that motor or run that motor? Yeah, we've tried we've tried it a few times. Even at Red Bluff, we've tried it. Um, have Have you guys ever raced Dixon? Because that yeah, is a yeah, yeah, big track for go karts. Very quick. Yeah, I was only there one time, and it had rain like all week before, so it was hooked up and rough. Like Rico was there, Keith Bloom Jr., and um, I think. That, I think that was the first time uh, Buddy Kofoid had moved up in the open division. He was probably 10 years old at the time or something. But yeah. that was, I remember that being the first time I ever like raced with them because I watched him kind of grow up through the ranks and stuff. But yeah, had the Ligert motor there. That thing was just full throttle, like, oh, so insanely fast. Like we ended up, something was wrong with the carburetor, so we didn't end up running it for the main. But um it like to me personally like you, you run it at cycleland like you guys know how si slick cycleland gets like um you don't need that much power and it almost hurts you like m my brother he has done a lot of like kind of testing for my grandpa so um he's he's run that quite a bit but like yeah you try to run the bottom in that thing and get on the t gas a little bit like that thing wants to spin you out so so it's it's hard to tame but like the big tracks like maybe they'd work kind of back east i know like millbridge would probably be a good track for something like that so yeah just not not i, I don't think they're perfect for out here though that's yeah. interesting to hear about all the experiments and i know um you know grandpa he's just been building motors for so long and i'm sure he's tried so many different things uh before we transition into your sprint car career um, a couple stats that we went through, um, some of the NorCal history uh, on their website. You are the all-time winningest uh, driver in the open class at Cycland and third on the open win list at Red Bluff. And I think the competition back when you ran mainly is just as tough as it was now. And, oh, and yeah. there's been so many good drivers that have kind of just, you know, went through their course of um, their karting career, I guess. But can you just talk about, like, how the open class was when you ran? And, you, I mean, at the time, you know, there were so many um, good drivers. And also a period of that was in one of the QRC house carts yeah um yeah you know it's funny like as time has gone like i feel like the style of racing has definitely evolved through the years but like you said like the competition is has always kind of been the same like you have your heavy hitters you have your really talented drivers um from every era um i 
still to this day. Um, Lowell Morale Jr. was one of the fastest guys I've ever had a race against um, at Cycland, and um, Brian McCain, he like I I was never faster than him. Like that guy was so quick, and but then you go out there now and. I got to deal with you and Landon Brooks and Carson Perkins and you guys are, man, just blowing my doors off. So like, it, yeah, I, I mean, time changes, but a lot of things that stay the same, like you guys are still really fast and there's always been fast guys to compete with. So it's always been so challenging and so fun in that, that sense too. Well, one thing too, every time you, you know, you don't know, I feel like, or as of recently, you haven't got the chance maybe to run at Red Bluff as, as maybe you used to. Um, but every single time you show up, you're always fast. And I know a couple of years back, you won um, a handful of races. You were the first driver to win a couple races that season when, um, you know, I think through points race one through seven, you know, it was all non-repeat winners. And everyone always joked about, you know, no sale panel, all uh, no updates to the car. <laughs> what is it about your package and stuff that keeps you kind of comfortable, you know, to where you can still show up to the kart races and, and rip? So that it's interesting because yeah, like it was a yeah handful of years ago we ran three races that year, one two of them got second in the other one, and it was just an old bent up J frame had no side panel like yeah that's just was good and the next year we said oh let, let's get smart and let's upgrade we'll get new stuff well I went back to Red Bluff and raced three races and didn't make any of the A mains so it's like. I, I don't know what it is, and it was interesting this last year. Uh, I, Shane Graham got let me run his car at Red Bluff, and that's pretty much as close as you're going to get to a factory cart. Um, their program is second to none, so I was really excited to get in that and just to see what you guys are feeling, basically, those factory carts, and man, I couldn't handle that thing. Like, <laughs> I thought that thing was going to spin out from under me every single corner. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I was I was lost. Like, I think I just need, like, my old bent-up J-frame, where it's just, like, I feel like I have to, like, manhandle the car and, like, point it to where I want, want it instead of just, like, letting it kind of float around there, but... Man, like, I, I don't know how you guys do it. Like, it, it's impressive, but, uh, yeah, it's just that style. Like, I, I just need it a little tighter for me, I guess. I don't know. I think that's a great point to bring up the name, where the shark comes from, because I know me and my dad watching from the stands is you kind of will watch you and you, you start in the rear end of the main events and somehow, you know, with five to go, here comes Sean making his way to the front. Always a threat to win, too, so... It's always fun to watch you there at Red Bluff as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's like the shark. You never know he's there until he comes and bites you. So. Oh, yeah. That's great. Uh, transitioning from your outlaw cart career, which you ran for many, many years. I mentioned the factory cart at one point and, you know, up there on both win lists between Red Bluff and Cycleland. But how did you make that jump from, you know, carts to sprint cars? Because also back in the timing when you did that, that wasn't like nowadays, you know, um, every kid that's trying to move up and with the proper backing, you know, it's straight outlaw cart to maybe a micro, but right into a sprint car. But back then um, you didn't jump directly into sprint cars, but you did go to the bigger track. Yeah, yeah, like you said, I went into IMCA Modifieds, um, and my dad raced stock cars, like, for a handful of years, and before he got into sprint cars for a few, um, so I thought that was kind of the transition that you were supposed to do, you just kind of went up the ranks in the division at the local track you were at to eventually get to a sprint car, so I didn't know any better, so I, we, we did that for a year and a half, but, yeah, I had... Um, veterans in that class would 
like talked to my dad and said, no, he's doing pretty good, but he's got to use the brake to get in the corner. I'm all, use the brake? What are you talking about? Like that, I, I wasn't into that. So yeah, the minute we got into a sprint car, it's like, oh, this feels, I mean, obviously outlaw carts don't have shocks, but it felt so much like an outlaw cart and I was way more comfortable, way more, I felt like I knew what I had to do basically in that car where in the M commodified, I was just trying to learn all over again. So, um, yeah, got into the sprint cars and basically never looked back. About what, what time was that, you know, what year and how long did you kind of run that modified before you transitioned in the sprint car? Yeah. So I think I was a senior in high school when I got into the modified. So 18 years old. And then <clears throat> the last part of when I was 19 and then I basically, and that second year, my brother and my sister started racing modifieds too. So we had three modifieds out there. I was battling with Ryan Mc, or Randy McDaniels at one point and stuffed it into the fence trying to go for the win. And I told my dad, I said, I, we don't need to spend too much money to get this back out there. Like my heart's not in this anyway. So we kind of took the rest of that year off and then eventually got the sprint car. So that so it was the end of 2001 whenever I got a sprint car for the first time and it was just a 360 but um our second race ever was at Gold Cup and racing with the World of Outlaws I have a picture the first ever heat race I was in uh trying my best to rail um um Andy Hillenberg around the outside and I did it for a split second but that didn't last too long but um, yeah, so I raced a handful of times at the end of 2001 and then 2002 was basically my first full year and that was 410 and handful of 360 races too. Uh, I'd be curious to know because the cars have evolved over time, you know, that was about 20 years ago. Do the, did the cars drive much different back then? You know, I know, you know, power and, and the cars have changed a little bit. Was it, was it much difference back then compared to now? I, I don't think so. I, I feel like it was all, it, it, I feel like. The handle of the car everything was the same but the tracks were a lot different like just i think maybe the way they prepped it um i know the outlaws they always hated coming to chico because it was always so heavy that they wanted it slick and basically now everywhere you go kind of in the country like we're slick track racing basically where it's narrow on the bottom curb up top so so i think just the style of tracks has really evolved um uh, and I don't know what kind of caused that, if it's just like um, different racers kind of in the past who are now kind of like in the position to where they're prepping tracks. Like I know Lowell's setting up Silver Dollar Speedway, so you know it's going to be like Cycland. It's going to be fun. It's going to be slick. It's going to be fast. So, um, yeah, I don't know what, what the reasoning was, but the, just the tracks have changed. I don't think the cars have. Do you think uh, you're more of a fan of the tracks back then that were hooked up, or do you like this kind of new wave of a slick track um, to be racing on? Well, so it's funny because, like, I'm a Cycleland guy, so, like, I like the slick. I, I like the curb to lean on. Um, I like it wide, I, and you have to – it's going to be slick if you want it to get wide, basically, so you, you want the room to pass. So I like that, but every now and then I – I know Tanner's not a big fan of the hooked up West yeah, Coast yeah. bull rings, um, but man, whenever it gets rough and heavy, like those are some of the funnest races I've ever been a part of just because like it forces you to move around the track a lot. And then it's just kind of who's, 
who's got the bigger huevos, basically. Yeah. yeah. So um, those are a lot of fun for me, too. Yeah, it's something I'm definitely working on because there's just something about the California. I haven't ran down there a whole lot, but, I mean, you can just watch and just the big curbs and the wheel spin you need. And it's um, it's a different style of racing, and a lot of you guys down there have it mastered. Everybody, like, everybody wanted me to get to Caldish Grove because, like, everybody says that's their favorite track. And I'm like, well, I can't wait. And I finally did, but it rained, like, yeah. the day and the whole week prior, and it was super rough, which I didn't mind. But um, everybody said, no, this isn't the track cottage grove you you need to come back so was that uh are you referring to speed week it was, no, it was a marvin smith oh it was a marvin smith gotcha okay yeah yeah that one was great that it was pretty gnarly how rough that was that night well you guys will have to drag the 83v maybe up here i know um oregon speed week this year is not i think at the greatest point because i think it's over the howard kading unfortunately oh. but one of these times you guys will have to uh get up there a question i had about early in your career um, you know, at some points, you know, you started driving for different car owners, you know, be able to put your seat in different rides. How did you form your relationships um, in order to, you know, put yourself in a spot to be a higher driver? And uh, also how the timing was just different back then where there was, you know, more seats available? Yeah, no, that's a great question, because um, I feel like I just kind of like lucked into it. Like, really, it was just a family operation for the first couple years. And we had one major sponsor who kind of came on board and kind of bought us out and just sponsored everything. And then that lasted for a year or two. And then it basically, that financial burden just got way too much for him. So he kind of combined forces in 2005 with Duke and Scotty McMillan, kind of formed a somewhat super team, kind of putting our team and their team together. And that's when we ended up winning my first silver dollar championship, won my first King of the West Golden State Championship. Um, so that was a big year. But then right after that, um, I got fired. <laughs> so um, so then looking for a ride, like it, it like was, I was in uncharted territory, basically. Like I had no idea what to do. Um, and I just got lucky. Somebody called me, um, Tom Fisher and Kyle Main. They were looking for a driver just for a weekly Friday night point shows and then that eventually led to king of the west the next year so more races and then from then on it was just i was just lucky enough to where people thought i was decent enough to put me in their car basically and give me a call um i because I, I didn't do very many phone calls and looking for rides and like i it's probably definitely one of the parts of my career that I wish I was a little more, a little more driven and try to go after kind of what I wanted. Um, but I kind of waited for, waited for the phone to ring essentially. And, uh, luckily after all these years that it, it did. Yeah. Times have definitely just changed, you know, cause now, um, listening to you talk about that, I, I feel like, you know, a lot less drivers are obviously getting that phone call and, um, you know, the phones just aren't ringing. There's just not, um, you know, as, as many cars to drive and hopefully in, in some way, you know, that, that changes, but that's just kind of, you know, where the sport's at right now. Uh, one of the uh, next segments that we always like to do with our guests is talking about some of your biggest achievements and one that came to mind, um, as we were doing some research and I actually did not know this, but you'd have a world of outlaws victory. Now this, this is just incredible. Um, winning a prelim night at gold cup in 2012. Can you just kind of talk about that night in the race and you know what it was like to, you know, um, when you win an outlaw race, be the best 410 driver in the country that night. Yeah, that was an absolutely incredible weekend too. Cause 
the night previously we got fifth with the Outlaws, which is huge. And then that night, um, yeah, we qualified real well, put us uh, ourselves in the dash, passed Sammy Swindell to start on the front row, and then we started next to some kid named Kyle Larson, I think, and he was in the 57 car at that point, and they weren't the dynamic duo that they are now, but still, like, they were damn fast, and uh, Kyle Larson was going to win that race. We were running second, and we had a red, and he got a flat tire. But he still held on to it for, like, he held me off for a couple laps. I finally got by him. He survived two more restarts with a flat left rear tire and was still in second place for a long time before it eventually blew. But, um, yeah, that, I mean, that was a huge win. I had to hold off Tim Cadian at the end. Um, he was kind of, I think he was point racing, too, because the next night was the actual gold cup so it was kind of we we're accumulating points for starting position so he didn't want to do anything too drastic so i didn't get any death sliders from him or anything but held on got that win and I'll, yeah i'll never forget getting on the back straightaway tim kading pulled up next to me i could hear him yelling from the, our race car like he was so pumped for me got to like i went straight to the scales um said i passed like immediately started bawling like a little baby like they're pushing me to the front stretch i see my dad running on the track like he's pumped up like it yeah it's one of those memories that you're never going to forget for the rest of your life and yeah to say you were able to beat the outlaws is something not too many people have been able to do so it's yeah it was a special moment for sure one of the other achievements we have um to note was all your consecutive 410 championships at, at Silver Dollar, and I guess, honestly, just all your success at that racetrack. You were the driver of the decade between 2010 and 2019. What is it about, I mean, obviously, it's right there in your backyard. It's your home racetrack, but um, all these championships and wins that you've kind of gathered at that place, you know, throughout the years. Yeah, it, like you said, it's just been my home. Like, when my dad decided to start racing stock cars, it was, I was, I think, five years old, so I was up in the stands with the, extra large Pepsi cup in my lap, pretending like that was my steering wheel, trying to pretend like I was my dad out there. So yeah, I grew up at that place. And then, and even back then, like I did not think I would ever race sprint cars. Like they, they look scary. They look super fast when they wreck, they wreck big. So I, I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm never going to race that, but I'll, I'll maybe race stock cars like my dad did. And then yeah, to, get in the sprint car to feel comfortable to get my first win my first ever sprint car win was at Chico um remember that for the rest of my life as well and yeah and then it's just I've been so fortunate that I've had so many different car owners that allowed me to race um the weekly Friday night point seasons and race all the gold cups every time the outlaws came so um yeah just very fortunate and yeah to do it in your backyard it's so so cool that's cool a very incredible career um our last segment we always like to talk with our guests you know what's next um what's the rest of the 2021 season like and in this year obviously with the 83v you know what other series you guys chasing or any other big events yeah because I'm, I'm also running with the 35 car um car owner dan monhoff so i'm running with him for the secct series um we been really fast with that series but unfortunately um two of the two out of the four events so far this year we've broken a rear end so um 
stats really kind of hurt hurt us in the points because um, we we're definitely I think capable of winning that championship. Um, we're super fast in that car, and then yeah, continuing with the A3V with King of the West, and then select 360 shows and any kind of King of Thunder 410 shows that Peter Murphy lucky enough to throw out there. So yeah, trying to race as much as possible and it's it's hard because like you always want to get back to cycling and race uh, with the family too but um the summers with the sprint cars always m makes it so so busy and so difficult to do that so i don't think i'll be able to get out to cycling this year but um but there's always we're a bluff in the winter i be able to get out there a few times this year so that that's the plan for 2021 Absolutely. Um, our last question, is there any other goals? You know, you've been doing this for so many years. Is there anything else you want to accomplish in the state of California or behind the wheel of a sprint car or in, in racing in general? Yeah, I I don't know if I have any more kind of long-term goals um, per se, but definitely, like, I, I still have that competitive fire. Like, I want to win every time I'm out there, and if we're not winning, like, I'm racking my brain and losing sleep over why why we didn't so um no i i still want to keep keep proving myself proving myself that i can do it and then um winning as much races as possible um hopefully i can hopefully we can get better in this 410 uh series and then continue to improve but continue to start um competing for wins but also competing for that championship because um I won it back in 2005, and um, yeah, that was a little bit ago. So, like, to be able to do that again would be, be probably the ultimate goal for sure. That'd be cool. That's awesome. Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's great to hear about um, your background in outlaw car racing, your uh, goals kind of going forward in the sprint cars in California, and I'm sure we'll see you down there in that state um, here in the coming weeks and months. Cool. I you know. I can't wait. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I've been enjoying one of the best things about Red Bluff is watching the box talks and like I sit up on my perch in the grandstands and actually Bennett's families has always sat kind of right in front of our family for many years now. So been able to get to watch you guys both race kind of grow up and race through the divisions like that. That is by far like the one of the things I treasure the most is watching the development of all these young superstars coming up and yeah. Tanner, you're definitely one of them too. Thank so you. like for you guys to invite me on this, like I'm really honored and yeah, can't wait to race with you sometime soon. What a great chat we got to have there with Sean Becker. He's such a well-spoken guy and is truly one of the idols of sprint car racing here along the West Coast. I know since I've started, I've looked up to him just because of how much of a wheelman he is behind the wheel of an outlaw cart or a sprint car or anything he jumps into. His story is just so great. You know, he talked about running outlaw carts there back in the 80s, 90s with his brother Daniel, his grandpa George, and how they kind of just built these cars um, on their own and then took him racing and really how he just did that as a family and then moved up to the dirt track there at silver dollar and was one of the drivers of the decade between 2010 and 2019 but even before that you know winning many races i think he said in that modified division then moved up into a wing sprint car and really just how wing sprint cars have not really changed around the silver dollar speedway uh, since he started till now but just has been so successful and even at one point got that world of outlaws victory which he talked about was one of the greatest days of his life
So as I said earlier, it was such an honor to have Sean on the show, and I'm glad we were able to chat with him there for about 30 minutes. Kind of diving into our next segment, I just wanted to touch on our weekend. As usual, on the podcast, we like to maybe mention um, just some of the best moments, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that really did not make it in the vlog or stuff that made it in the vlog that we can kind of expand on. So our team went to the Cottage Grove Speedway for two nights, a Memorial Day weekend show, Saturday and Sunday, both nights at Cottage Grove in the limited sprint car division. We got our second limited engine actually back from the builder here recently. So Carly and I were both able to race. Uh, the original plan going into it, if we only had one engine, uh, Carly was going to race and I was going to sit on the sidelines or I was actually talking to another team who had an open seat that I could possibly run for. If I could, I wanted to run my own stuff, but you know, secondary, if I had the chance and I wasn't able to race, you know, possibly try to hop in someone else's equipment. But the main priority this weekend was for Carly to get out there, get more laps and start that progress at, uh, at the beginning of her career, you know, as she's continuing to get better and better every single time she sits in the seat. So we went to Cottage Grove and we actually kind of had some high hopes. It looked like there was going to be some great weather. They recently put some new clay on the racetrack too, which I know Cottage Grove has really needed that. Like I'm talking bad. Um, a couple years ago, right before the pandemic at the end of 2019, I mean, there was pretty much nothing on there and they were trying to bring in some dirt from uh, over over the racetrack, if, if you get what I mean there, because, you know, Cottage Grove obviously doesn't have an outside wall and it throws a lot of dirt into the blackberry bushes and out just over the banking of the racetrack. So they were kind of dragging some of that stuff in there and it was getting mixed in with just some other dirt and it really just was not good material. And so they finally got a little bit of new clay and I think they're trying to get more and more as the season goes on. But Brian Crockett, an expert at doing track prep, was able to mix it in. I know there's a couple other guys involved on the grader just trying to get the racetrack better and better better and better so we have a smooth uh, surface to race on every single week. So both nights, the track conditions were probably some of the best surfaces I've seen at Cottage Grove in a long time. I think they would have been even better for a 360. Remember, we were running limiteds. Limiteds have about 550 to 600 horsepower, about 100 to 150 less than a 360. And a 360 just races so good around that place. Top, bottom, you can really make them both work. And as the track changes, you can move around where as we're going to talk about in a minute, the limited, you just cannot move around as much as I would like to at Cottage Grove, mainly because of that less power. You can't do as many moves. Uh, you can't get yourself out of trouble. And it's just a lot more about momentum. So anyway, we qualified good the first night, ended up going fourth the first there in that heat race. There was a vicious crash at the end of my heat race right in front of me. I was going to run second, but Brody Sim, I mentioned it in the vlog, Brody, a friend of mine, a kid I've grown up racing with um, since I started, you know, at Roseburg, he ran Red Bluff a little bit, and we've always just been mutual friends with that family and known them, and Brody was involved in um, a single car accident. He just got over the curb and then spun and hit driver's side uh, into the turn four wall right off the banking of the racetrack. Just an absolute horrible crash. You never want to see that happen to a fellow competitor, and as I said in the vlog, um, we're sending our best wishes to, towards the whole Sim family, and we're hoping for a full recovery and speedy recovery for Brody. The last update I heard, I wanted to try to keep you guys updated with just what they're posting on Facebook, but it sounds like, you know, he's starting to talk and be more aware of his surroundings. And I believe over the last 24 hours, it's really been 
all positive updates, which is exactly what we want to hear. Like I said, you never want to see a driver be involved in an incident and not be able to necessarily walk away from it right then and there because he was transported to the hospital and then up to Portland. Uh, but like I said, all positive updates have been coming from the Sim family lately. So we hope that's all we hear um, in the coming days. And we hope he can get back in a race car soon. So after that heat race, I ended up lining up a front row outside for the feature. And like I talked about the track conditions, they were good. It was a little rough, but the main thing was the top just had so much grip. It was kind of hard to pull off of it. You know, running the top was pretty much wide open minus maybe one spot on the track where you'd have to pedal, which is off of four, which is normal for Cottage Grove. Uh, but just throughout the whole race, I tried to maneuver. Tyler Thompson was leading. I was in second and we had so many yellows. So we never really got to lap traffic, but I tried to maneuver. I went to the bottom. I went to the top. I kind of slid myself. I tried just about everything before I actually spun out entering turn number three. And that, um, that just sucked. I'm not going to lie. That was a horrible way to end that A main event. But I saw a comment in the comment section of that video when I posted it. And someone said, sometimes when you spin out, that's the only way to really show how much you are trying. And I actually thought that was an interesting take, um, which I guess how you look at my night, I really was trying everything. I just did not have the same speed that the seven had in clean air. Uh, I think in lap traffic, we were probably equal. If not, I might've been better, but we never really got that chance besides once. And the lap cars were almost so much off pace. We, you know, it just didn't really slow either of us down. So that is what it is. Carly had a good night though. She ended up running fourth from eight and man, she's becoming really, really good around the bottom. It's awesome to see her catfishing uh, down there and, and she's really smooth with the throttle and the steering wheel. She's still working on the top side, but you know, just like every young driver, in my opinion, besides some kids, some kids are just different and they're good at going wide open around the top. But in the Holmes family, Carly and I, when we first start out, we really like to perfect the bottom, which in a lot of times can play into our favor if we have the right amount of patience. So night number one, I spun out, Carly ran fourth, uh, still a good night though for both of us and we we're able to make some really good laps and work on some stuff with our race cars. Moving into night number two, we group qualified and one thing to mention for group qualifying, and I don't mean this to dog on Cottage Grove, just stating my opinion. We group qualified and the racetrack had water on top of it. Like it was pretty greasy and they had eight of us out there at a time. In my opinion, just way too many cars. If we're going to talk about dangerous, that's what, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I'd not to dive too far into it, but I just felt like they had so many cars out there on the racetrack. I was really worried that someone would, you know, hit someone just because when it's greasy like that, and especially with how heavy the limiteds are in the front, it's easy to push. So sometimes it can be hard to control our race car. Um, I was able to leave plenty of room and I got some great laps in, but I know a couple of the cars in front of me, there were some people off pace and they weren't able to get going and it just bunched up everyone. So um, in my opinion, if sprint cars are going to do group qualifying, it should probably be four at the most. And I think they could still run through it pretty quickly with only 16 cars. You know, you do four groups of four instead of two groups of eight. It just, um, that just got me really, really worried, but glad everyone was able to make it out from that and not, um, you know, have any contact really moving into the heat race. Uh, we started third and this is where I made a mistake. I slid off the top of the racetrack. I completely missed the corner about four or five laps in. I was running fourth and I was watching the lap car in front of me and they were kind of to my left and I just got too focused on what they were doing because I was worried because I was, I was going to have to change my lane. They were running the bottom. I was kind of down there a little bit. I was going to have to change my lane to pass them. 
and I was just too focused on what they were doing. I was looking and sure enough, I just missed the entry a little bit. And at Cottage Grove, you, you once you miss it, you're done. You slide right off. So uh, I slid right off the edge and kind of just got into the fence. So that ended my heat race. I probably could have continued, but I wanted to pull off just in case something was broken. They said nothing was, but sometimes I know in the heat of the moment, it's, it's you know, if you don't see obvious things, doesn't mean um, something ain't wrong. But the push truck guys, they did their job. Just sometimes there's things that are less obvious that are harder to see. And so I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter where we start. We have the speed to win this feature. So I pulled off. We ended up starting 13th or 15th and just was able to use yellows and, and maneuver around the racetrack and um, get the win. And I think the racetrack was a little bit better on night number two as far as being able to maneuver. Um, in my opinion, the limiteds race really good when the track is slick enough to where the bottom has the drive and also the top is not just hammered down wide open. It seemed like you could really make the top work in one and two on night number two and then the bottom in three and four. That's what I used once I got to the lead. And not to sound harsh on the limited class, but really until it gets like it was on night number two, is when you can really drive through the field because when it's fast, everyone's pretty fast because you know you can just go wide open and you can hit the slick a little bit because they just don't have the tire spin to really upset the race car and slow it down. It's just not as sensitive as maybe a 360 and a 410, but limiteds at Cottage Grove get racing really, really good when it's usually not much grip in one and two on the top and bottom and just kind of black right through the center and that same way in three and four. And I've seen that surface quite a few times and we've been able to put on a show. But 100 percent hats off to Brian Crockett. They got this uh, new clay and it seems to be working well. And just in a few short weeks, they're already turning the racetrack into some great surfaces. And we're going to be back there here in the coming weeks um, to race there a little bit more. And speaking of uh, the next coming weeks and being at Cottage Grove, it looks like this next Saturday, we're going to be running there with our 360. So after a win in the limited, we're kind of looking to have some momentum. And that was one of the main reasons I said earlier, um, we wanted Carly to get some laps. And if I could race two, that was just kind of a bonus. And I was able to race and we were able to kind of just try some things on our race car to get it better and better and me more back to just being really, really comfortable. And I think we achieved that because at the end of that uh, Sunday night show where we won, once we got to the lead, you know, just the quality of our laps, I, I would almost, I would like to look at the lap times, but man, just every single lap, just wide open through one and two. And by the, by the time I got to the center of the corner, I could just feel the car driving. You know, I wasn't sideways and crossed up. I wasn't too tight to where I was pushing off the track. I was able to put the race car where I wanted it and even maneuver a little just in my own lane to try to run the top a couple of different ways and still have the same outcome of the car driving well and then be able to kind of come through the slick and have the drive to be able to go through the slick part of the racetrack, not lose time and then roll the bottom and do something completely different in the other corner. Um, that says a lot about how good the 18T was. So that was our two nights at Cottage Grove. Carly, unfortunately, blew up on night number two. Her engine, it, it does not look good. We took it apart. All the vlog coming on that soon, so not to give too much away, but it's just, um, it's a disaster. We were trying to figure out what cylinder had the issue, and it looks like it's number five and six, and um, like I said, I have a full vlog with a lot more details and real footage coming um, coming your guys' way soon because uh, it's just unfortunate. That engine had a rough ending um, as it shut off abruptly, entering turn one at Cottage Grove. Carly was able to save it, kind of back it in, 
um, because she lost power steering when it shut off and it got really hard to turn. But she was able to flip it around, jump out quickly because she had never experienced a blow up. And that's one thing you kind of just have to figure out. Once it happens once, you know what's coming. But when you never had it happen um, in a sprint car, you're, you're not sure. You're kind of confused on what's going on and what exactly the issue is. But uh, that's going to kind of wrap up episode number 20. We talked to Sean Becker earlier, got a little recap on our Cottage Grove weekend. But as usual, you guys can listen to Off the Track on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or every single Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. right here on the Off the Track YouTube channel. You guys really enjoyed my last episode with my dad. So we're going to get a couple more of my family members on. Awesome to have the in-studio guest. And if we can get other guests that are just uh, close by here or we're able to get them in studio for a day, we're definitely going to take advantage of that because it's so awesome. And there's just something different about uh, being able to have someone sit right next to me. We can make that eye contact and just have so many great conversations about the sport that we love. So anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you guys all in episode uh, number 21 here in seven days. I'm signing off for now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer.